radio station, your radio station, our radio station, 91.3 FM and 95.8 FM stereo. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi ta'ala wabarakatuh. Once again from myself Shafiq Sadiq, Butana Zim Peterson and Butana Sermaiber coming to you live, 91.3 FM stereo. It's time for the program Salah Queries and online I have Molina Irshad Sadiq. Molina, assalamu alaikum. Mashallah Molina, we've had uh, programs with Molina Ibrahim Gafur speaking to us about Tahajjud Salah and then of course we had programs with uh, Molina Ibrahim Khan and he spoke to us about um, Molina Abdurrahman Khan uh, he spoke to us about the uh, Salatul Janazah and the Salatul Ghaib and a few questions that has, that uh, our listeners have posed inshallah and I hope inshallah that uh, we can do justice to that but before we do that, uh, Maulana, um, Maulana Abdurrahman Khan ended off the program last week by saying, uh, quoting the hadith, whereby people go to the Janazah Salah and the amount of rewards that they will receive. And those same men folk or people that go to the Qabr and lay the, the Maya to rest um, in the Qabr, they will receive double the reward. Would you like to just uh, comment on that, Maulana? The hadith starts off firstly encouraging us as the followers of Nabi Muhammad that we should respect the rights of one another. And some of the rights that the Prophet has given to us that we have to abide by for one another is number one, Tiba'ul Janazah, to follow the Janazah of all of those whom we know. Wa'iyadatul Marib, to visit the ill, if we know them. As soon as somebody is ill, regardless of what type of illness they may have, um, of course, as long as it does put our own lives in danger, then to visit them, that's part of the Sunnah. And to actually reply to the one who sneezes, to the person who sneezes, who says, Alhamdulillah, and to say, Irhamakallah. And if you're the sneezer, and somebody says, Yerhamakallah to one, then of course one replies by saying, Yahdikumullah. And then, وَإِجَابَةُ And to respond to an invitation to permissible gatherings. وَنُسْرَةُ mazlum, And to assist those who have been oppressed and those who have been uh, harmed and wronged. So these are the rights that other Muslims have over us. So let alone the reward that I'm about to mention from a different hadith, these rights are reported in a hadith by Nabi Muhammad sallallahu as reported in uh, Sahih al-Bukhari. And it is essentially telling us that we shouldn't look at it as optional. When somebody passes on, um, yes, it's farb kifaya in the sense that if some, some of the uh, community members undertake this particular action, then it will, um, it will alleviate the others from having to take that action as well. And this is where the word kifayat comes from, from the word kifaya. But at the same time, we should look at it as this is my responsibility, or this is the right of my Muslim brother uh, or my Muslim sister that they have over me. Just the fact that I know them and they have passed on means that I should attend their janazah. And then, of course, there's something in it for us as well, which is the hadith that Mawlana Rahman Khan was referring to, also reported by Bukhari and Imam Muslim in the Sahih collections of hadith from Abu Huraira, radiallahu ta'ala, who says that the Prophet, sallallahu said, من شهد الجنازة حتى يصلي عليها فله كيرات Whosoever witnesses the janazah till the point at which the uh, salah is performed, then that person will get one kirat, and I'll explain what that means in a moment. 
ومن شهد حتى تدفن كان له كيراتان and if you witnesses the janaza within the janaza up until the point that the person that the mayit is actually buried then that person will receive two kirats and we'll explain what that means right now so what is that the prophet sallallahu said that one kirat is the size of mount uhud in uh, gold size of mount uhud in gold in terms of reward that is basically what uh, what a kirat is. So if one could think of how much, what, what work one would do to get a mountain worth, a mountain's worth of gold, then all we have to do is to attend the janazah, uh, the salah, and then the burial, and that would give us two mountains worth of gold. So uh, this is the great reward that Allah Ta'ala has placed it, just for fulfilling the rights that our brethren and our sisters have over us. Alhamdulillah. Well, you know, we are in the program, Salah Queries, those questions uh, that people don't necessarily want to pose in a class or amongst family members and friends. And uh, sometimes they feel that it is a silly question with regards to Salah, but no question is a silly question unless the person poses it. And we have received one question, Molina. It is in Afrikaans, so I'll just uh, translate it for you. The person says uh, from 8248, says, Assalamu alaikum, Ya Sheikh and Molina. Please uh, give advice. I sometimes feel very distant from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I do make salah, but on occasions I feel far from Allah. What can one do to um, to be closer to Allah with uh, with regards to salah? Um, generally, the reason for our feeling distant from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in salah, or even outside of salah, is uh, attributed to one thing, and that is the hardness of the heart. When one seems to be distant from Allah, you're performing ibadah, but there's no taste in it. It's essentially because one's body is in the ibadah, but one's heart is, is unable to perform that ibadah. Um, if one was to imagine a sponge, for example, a clean sponge would easily be able to absorb the pure water. But if you were to take a sponge that has been soaked in oil, dirt, grime, tar, muck, etc., and you were to use that same sponge and now try to soak up pure water, it's not going to be able to do so. What essentially you're trying to do is you're trying to take some brick, something that's practically waterproof because of all the muck and all the dirt that's inside of it, and now you're trying to absorb the pure water with that. And the way that we need to go about this process, and of course, if if I have to elaborate even further, I'd say that the reason for the muck and the tar and the dirt and the oil and so forth, that's all the sins that we have in our lives. Every time you watch something that uh, displeases Allah, on the screen, between the laptop or the computer, the cell phone. Every time we look at the ghair mahram, you know, those whom are not our marriageable kin, uh, or not, uh, those whom we are not allowed to marry, um, or, sorry, those whom we are allowed to marry and not our family members. And every time we listen to things that are displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in all their various forms, and every time we do things that are displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whether it's with the tongue, with the ears, with the mouth, with the with the eyes, with the hands, with the feet, with our bodies, then every single time a black dot appears in our hearts. So then it becomes like that sponge that has been dipped in the tar and the oil and so forth. Now when our hearts engage in ibadah, I mean our bodies are there, but it's the heart that is actually in communication with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when our hearts engage in this ibadah, then what happens is our hearts cannot absorb this nur that's coming down. Because each ibadah has its own special barakah, it has its own special reward. But that reward is unable to penetrate our hearts because our heart is so full of all of these sins. So what needs to take place is, number one, every single one of us have to realize that this is a flaw, this is a fault, 
and that our sins are preventing us from having a relationship with Allah. And the first step to do this, uh, to, to change the situation, is to make tawbah. Tawbah is when we take that sponge and we essentially just wring every single bit of that muck out. So we squeeze all of that muck out, we squeeze all of that tar out, we squeeze all of that dirt out, etc. And we basically run that, uh, that sponge under a tap. And the way we do that in real terms is to turn to Allah Ta'ala and promise Allah that you will never do that sin again. Well, first immediately stop doing whatever sins we were doing, every single sin in our lives. Then to promise Allah that you will never return back to those sins. And then to regret the times that we were actually committing those sins. And if our sins had to do with the rights of any other human being, then we have to return those people's rights, including the honor that we may have blemished of other people. So that's step number one. Step number two is you have to keep that heart clean and pure and polished. And the polish of the heart is the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Remembrance of Allah has become pure. So once we can establish remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the heart will become cleaner and our concentration in our salah will be better. A quick step uh, in terms of after one has done the tawbah and left over the sins, then a quick step in terms of how to get concentration in our salah is essentially to attain that level of ihsan. The Prophet says that the quality of ibadah this was having a salah is called ihsan. That is, an Allah ka'annaka tarahu. It is, to, it is to worship Allah, to enslave oneself to Allah as though one sees Allah. And sometimes people think this means you must imagine Allah. But we can't imagine Allah because there is nothing like we uh, can possibly conceive of. We can't ever perceive or imagine what Allah Ta'ala is like because nothing is like Him. What this means is that we have to imagine how we would be if Allah Ta'ala were to be in front of us. We have to imagine how our condition would be, how our mood would be, how our concentration would be, how our humility would be if we were right there on the day of Qiyamah seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is the feeling that we should have in the salah, and this is the ideal. But if you are unable to do that, then فَإِلَمْتَ كُنْتَرَاهُ فَإِنَّهُ يَرَاكُ And for the very least we should be standing there with conviction that my Allah is watching me, my Allah is here with me, my Allah is having a conversation with me, I am having a conversation with my Allah. And he's watching my every move, he's watching my hands, he's watching my eyes, he's watching my face, I need to look down into my place of prostration. And this, inshallah ta'ala, will make our salah more sweet, more tasty, more pleasurable, it will make our lives fulfilled with uh, contentment. And this is why the Prophet would say that the coolness of his eyes is in place in salah. It's not because he was extraordinary, and he was, but it's, it's not an extraordinary quality, it's simply just a matter of... Um, having a proper connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and having a pure heart. And if we can manage to purify our hearts, which is necessary for all of us, then our salah will become sweeter in the night ta'ala. Well, another next question. Can one, can salah be performed in any language? Okay, um, this is a very specific circumstance in which the answer would be yes. And that specific circumstance is in the case of somebody who just became Muslim, or is incapable of uh, learning the Arabic language in a time short, uh, that, that is short enough for, for I mean, that is uh, expensive enough for the next work to come in. So, for example, if somebody embraces Islam now, then whatever they can learn, the two most important factors of recitation in the salah is, number one, the first takbir, saying Allahu Akbar, number two, the actual surah Fatiha, and number three, the tahiyat. 
Those are the only three things that the person must know in order for a salah to be valid. So if somebody can, if a new Muslim, if somebody just embraced Islam, uh, if they can manage to learn that before the time of the next waqt, then they should learn it and they should recite it, even if it means that they have to use a page or a book. Um, but if they can't, if they can't manage to recite it in the Arabic language, then it is allowed for them to recite it in uh, whichever language they may feel. Right? But there's, of course, alternatives. If they can't recite that, then the recommendation is that they would recite some other verses, but it's, uh, it's unlikely that they would know other verses if they can't recite that. Um, then the next recommendation would be that you actually, if they can't even do that, then they can actually just make some azkar, some zikrullah in that time period. And if they can't do that, then they may recite it in whichever language they want. You see, the, the, the key here is that the Qur'an is not the understanding of the words. It's not the... It's not the translation of the word. It's not the interpretation of the word. The Quran is the Arabic Quran. Inna anzalnahu Quranan Arabiyan. Allakum ta'akirun. Allah Ta'ala says we have sent it down as an Arabic recitation so that you may understand. You see, when we translate words from one language to another language, we only take some of its meanings. Um, we never, we are, we are never able to, to in, uh, encapsulate and to take with all of the meanings from one language to the, to the other language. We can only take some of its meanings. So, for example, in the Afrikaans language, if we're reading a sentence that says, uh, you know, kom, kom and eat, right, or kom jack, kom and eat, and this is in a storybook. So one could easily understand that from the, from the Afrikaans understanding that this is a, referring to a person, that jack is a person. But if the word eat has to be changed to friet, then immediately from the Afrikaans language we can understand that it's referring to an animal. But when translating into English, the sentence will read exactly the same and the word eat will be used. So the same thing happens when we, when we translate something from Arabic into English, right? So if you look at the word ruh, the Quran uses the word ruh, kulir ruh min amri rabbi. The Quran uses the word nafs, kullu nafsin dha'iqatul maut, right? The Quran uses all of these words, but at the end of the day, in English, it's going to, it's going to have the same word, so spirit or soul. But in the, in the Arabic language, each word has its own unique meanings. So... Whoever is able to recite in Arabic has to recite in Arabic, and uh, the dispensation is only allowed for such a person who cannot learn the language in a, or learn those recitations in that time period, inshallah. Inshallah. Malana, the next question comes from 6898, and says, when performing Farul Salah, is it allowed to recite the difficult surahs with a open surah in hand, or the Quran being opened within one's hand? The, the, the question is asking specifically about difficult surahs. Then I would understand by this question that the person un, uh, is already able to recite perhaps easier or shorter surahs. And if that is the case, then I would say um, it would be preferable, especially in the Farad Salah, to recite the surahs or the surah that one knows and that one, that, that one is able to recite without the usage of a mushaf, a uh, copy of the Qur'an. But in the Sunnah Salahs, for example, like in uh, the Salat al-Taraweeh, one may stand with the Mus'haf and one may read from the Mus'haf and that's fine. If one is reading alone or wants to follow the Imam in the, in the, in the recitation, that's also fine. Um, the only case in which I'll say a, a person may read a, a, the Surahs from the copy of the Qur'an in the Salat Salah is if they don't know any Surahs other than uh, the Bima and the Mamu, even if they don't know the Fatiha and they need to recite it from the, from the Mus'haf. And they don't know a short surah like Kulu Allah Ahad and then it recites from the Mus'haf. Um, in those instances, yes, they may. 
But uh, the Fardwala is more strict, so one should try to abide by the rules as far as one could possibly do. So if one knows a shorter surah, like Kul Wawal Ahadim, the only surah one knows, then it's permissible for that person to recite that surah in every raka'ah, in every salah, until such a time that they would learn the next surah, and then they can add that surah to it, inshallah. Inshallah, Maulana. The next question that has just come in from 4852. If you forgot to read Kunut in the Fajr Salah, must you start your Salah over again? Um, the, the Qunut is definitely a Sunnah Mu'akkada in the Shafi'i Madhab. In fact, it's called a Ba'ab. So you get your, 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 your Sunnah and then you get your Ab'ab. And there are six such Ab'ab in the, in the Salah, in the Shafi'i School of Thought. Ab'ab refers to uh, Sunnahs that are very emphasized. So practices of the Prophet wasallam that are emphasized. One such practice is the uh, Qunut. Right? And just to give an, another example, another sunnah that's very emphasized is the, the first tashahud, the first tahiyat. In other words, after two rakats of salat and one sits in tahiyat. So that first tahiyat is also an emphasized sunnah. So the ruling with regards to the emphasized sunnahs in the Shafi Madhab is that they are still sunnahs, right? Despite the fact that they are emphasized, they are sunnahs. And uh, the technical uh, definition for that would be that it is ma yuthabu fa'iluhu wa la yu'aqabu tarikuhu. That which the one who does it will get reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is the part that we should focus on. And the one that does not do it will not receive any punishment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's obviously the part that we shouldn't focus on too much. But because of this, the person who leaves out the kunud or even the first tahiyat um, by mistake, forgetfully, and maybe even on purpose at certain times, um, then that person's salah is still valid. And the way to make up for missing a, a, a sunnah mu'akkada, such as the kunut or the first uh, tahiyat, is to perform what we know as sujood sahwi sajidat sahwi the prostration of forgetfulness, which is performed in the shafi madhab, it's performed right before the assalamu alaikum warahmatullah, before the first taslim, then one performs uh, two sajidas, and uh, in those sajidas one can recite the same du'as that one recites in a normal sajida, in the normal sujood, or there are other adayah as well that may, be, that may be memorized and learned. And that would basically just make up for the reward that one missed by missing out the, the kunut. Now the second question that usually comes up as a follow-up to this question is, so then what if I forget to do the prostration of forgetfulness as well? So I forget, and then I forget to do that which I have to do when I forget. Um, then too, um, the salah is still valid. Because just like the kunut is a sunnah, albeit emphasized, the sajidat al-sahwi is also a sunnah. The, the prostration of forgetfulness is also a sunnah. So uh, should the person omit that, then they have omitted a sunnah. Thus, the reward for the salah is much, it's much less than the, the person who has performed that sunnah. But as far as a valid salah is concerned, the person has in fact performed a, a valid salah. Well, Lena, we have one and a half minutes left. And the next question um, says, Assalamu alaikum, my husband refuses to make salah. And he says every time uh, it feels like something is preventing him, however he has made near to go for Hajj. Uh, subhanallah, this is a, a difficult one. You see, at, the, at first glance it might seem like, no, this person cannot perform Hajj because he doesn't perform Salah. And there's a certain truth to that as well. But the reality is each and every fard is still a fard. So no matter what fard comes about, one has to perform that individually. So... You know, a regular person's response might just 
be to say that no, this person can't perform Hajj. The reality is, the, if he qualifies and he has what it takes to perform the Hajj and all the means are there, the person has to perform Hajj. But at the same time, this person has to understand that they are committing a an, they are committing active kufr by not performing salah on purpose. For no matter what reason they say, you know, I'm being kicked back or there's something that's missing in my life. These are all whispers of shaitan or excuses from the nafs. And it is absolutely haram because there's no valid reason for missing out on salah. The Prophet said that the difference between iman and, and the absence of iman, in other words, the difference between faith and disbelief is salah. And for this reason, some of the scholars have actually ruled that a person who leaves out their salah on purpose, right, uh, with no valid excuse, that person has actually left the fold of Islam. And that's not the majority view, but it's a view of scholarship nonetheless. The majority view is that this person is a major sinner, and this person has to make tawbah. And the punishments for these crimes are actually quite severe. Um, but inshallah, we can, we can speak about that another time. For now, I would say that this person needs to understand that there are priorities. And the first priority of being a Muslim, after saying one shahada, after making public testimony that we be witness that is none worthy of worship but one Allah, and that Muhammad along with all the other anbiya or the messengers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that the first thing that becomes wajib and compulsory and fard upon a person is the salah. And essentially on the day of Qiyamah, the salah is the first thing that Allah ta'ala will ask us about. As comes in a hadith of Tirmidhi narrated by Abu Hurairah The first question Allah Ta'ala will ask a believer on the day of Qiyamah is Salah. And if that is in order, then everything else is in order and the person will go to Jannah, inshallah. Amen. But if that is missing, then the whole test of Qiyamah will be failed. So inshallah with that, uh, we can conclude this night, Ta'ala. Shukran so much, Molana Irshad Siddiq, speaking to us about um, and, and giving us the answers to Salah queries. Molana, um, I'm sure we can sit here for another few hours because uh, the questions are coming in. But we will take down the questions, inshallah, and in the next program, we'll do justice to that. Shukran once again. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Wa alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh.